Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Traditionally, financial planning advice is either only for those who are already wealthy or salespeople calling themselves financial advisors who say they'll give you free financial advice but really just sell products to earn commissions. Fearless Finance takes a dramatic departure from either of those traditional models. Their entire business is built on making financial advice accessible and affordable because we know that financial literacy, stress reduction, and financial security are critical to overall well-being. I'm a little bit obsessed with Elizabeth, our Fearless Finance advisor. I've had an array of advisors in the past who answered questions like, should we be spending less on this with evasive answers like, it depends on your priorities. Not Elizabeth. She answers with actually helpful guidelines. You're spending more than the average family of five, or I'd like to see this increase by 6%. Uh, thank you. This is Fearless Finance's mission, to make advice affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge you by the hour. You only pay for the time you use down to a quarter hour. Their planners meet with you where you are on your financial journey, no judgment. Visit fearlessfinance.com today. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit, and you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use the code Pantsuit. That's fearlessfinance.com and use code Pantsuit for $50 off your first planning meeting. I hope you guys don't mind to time travel back with me about a year. I was in the process of resigning myself to the idea that part of middle age for me might mean that my hair was going to slowly turn to straw and fall out of my head. Drama aside, we all know that your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. I have tried other custom beauty products and just found that they kind of make my hair worse. But ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair, yes, but beyond that too. I feel like I don't have to blow dry my hair anymore in order for it to look good because it's stronger, fuller, softer, and just looks nicer. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. My custom shampoo and conditioner, for example, were formulated to improve the smoothness and volume of my hair. And I really see after months of using my custom formula and tweaking it with the review and refine tool for this season, that I have nice looking hair all year long. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash pantsuit. So go get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash pantsuit. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash pantsuit. I intend to run an open-hearted and truthful campaign rooted in compassion for all Kentuckians, unlike anything we've seen in generations. That's from Celis Wilder, Democratic candidate for Senate in Kentucky, and our guest today. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. In the suit, we're going to have an interview with Celis Wilder, a Democratic primary candidate for the United States Senate seat here in Kentucky. We're so excited to have him. He had a bit of a viral video moment that brought him to our attention, and so we'll have discussions with him about why he's running and why his campaign is different after the pearls. So um, we have a few things to talk about today, and we took kind of a luxurious break from the presidential race in our last episodes. <laughs> oh, just a few days. It's so luxurious. We are back from that vacation <laughs> <laughs> because there's a lot to talk about. And I think the overall theme for me, Sarah, as I've been watching the news over the past few days, is that we have completely pivoted away from issues and even some of the personal attacks, not completely, but it is all process now Yeah, in a way that I think is really off-putting for everyone. Well, let me tell you my beef with the Democratic 
the discussion surrounding the democratic process right now. Um, I'm I'm going to criticize the Bernie Sanders campaign, and I'm going to try to do it in as kind and nuanced way as possible. So I'm really tired of the discussion. Of, first of all, that her that Hillary's wins don't represent represent any sort of real democratic process. She's won more popular votes. More people have voted for Dem- Hillary Clinton than Bernie Sanders. First of all. Second of all, the other thing that bugs me around this conversation is the idea that she's like manipulating this process, this very undemocratic process to win all these delegates. Y'all, eight years ago, she was in the same situation as Bernie Sanders. Literally. If she knew how to manipulate it, don't you think she'd done it back then? And also, it just seems like there's just this, it really bugs me because I feel like the discussion is completely lost about the fact that she suffered under the same exact process eight years ago. I know. I was there. It was frustrating. But like, it just the conversation I feel like has lost all historical perspective when it comes to the fact that she has been in a Democratic primary before under these same delegate situations. And it's just, it's really frustrating me. And I know that a dip, the primary process is not just what, you know, open democracy where we all vote at once and we pick the most popular vote winner. I don't know what people want because she would still win that. But it's just, I'm... I'm really, really frustrated with the conversation regarding the democratic process anyway. Well, I think there's frustration to be had on both sides. I think everything that you just said is fair. I also I also think it's fair as a, a Sanders supporter to say, how on earth does he win a state and she comes away with more delegates? I mean, that's frustrating too. Like there's, there's nothing good happening here for anyone. Yeah, <laughs> I but feel I like. just feel like if you feel like that, couldn't you look at the Republican side and say like, yeah, but do you want a winner-take-all situation? Because that's how that's what's causing them problems with Donald Trump right now, right? I mean, you kind of you sort of want it proportional so you really can gauge how many people support them. Now, there's all these other factors like whether it's an open primary. I think there's a real conversation to be had around which candidate is more supportive of the Democratic Party. Not only because Bernie Sanders has been very critical and not a member of the Democratic Party in the process. But also because of the whole discussion about who's more supportive of down-ballot candidates, who's more supportive of Democrats. That's important to me. Now, I understand if you're an independent and you, Bernie Sanders' message appeals to you on a purely political level, that's not important to you. But let me tell you, as a candidate or as somebody who plans to run on a Democratic Party ticket one day, that is important to me. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, I think that's a real discussion to be had. But, like, you know, as far as the process is concerned, like... You have to think about these things if you're running a political party. Now, if we want to scrap the parties and, you know, go back to the drawing board, fine, whatever, we can have that conversation. But this is the system we're within right now. And so I just feel like the the the, the conversation is sort of losing all foundation and perspective. I don't know what the margins were in 2008. It did not ever feel this close to me. No, no it was, was closer. She was he she has more delegates than Obama had at this point. That's the crazy part. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. And I don't know what that says about the media coverage or the environment generally. But I, and maybe it's because both contests, like both parties now are coming down to delegates. It matters this year in a way that it hasn't felt generally that it matters in the past. And you want to talk about a democratic process or not? I mean, Colorado, the Republicans don't even have people, there's like not even a moment to say, here's my preference if you're an average voter in yeah. Colorado. And I can't believe that story is not getting more coverage. I mean, the fact that the Colorado Republican Party just decided, well, we don't really care yeah. enough to hold a process. That's, on one hand, there's a part of me that thinks, well, that's crazy. On another part, it, I think, well, that's honest. I mean, at least, <laughs> you know, that's a lot more honest than some of what's happening in other states. I mean, at least people are just being told, no, this is the way we do it. We're a private party and we're going to pick our person. I, I don't like it. It feels wrong to me, I think. But, you know, here's what I think about all of this. Donald Trump was very quiet this week compared to his normal volume. He did none of the Sunday shows for the first time in, I think, 20 weeks. Um I think that was smart because all of this process conversation makes even somewhat reasonable people stand back and say, you know what, maybe we do just need to scrap it. And that's kind of what he represents, right? Like maybe maybe all of this is just icky and gross and not real. And he's icky and gross, but he's real. Well, I mean, I'll tell you what. Listen, the thing is, 
surprising no one. I like the process. I'm not saying that the Democratic and Republican Party always represent the full spectrum of political ideas or even the full spectrum of sort of vision for where this country should go moving forward. Like, I get that. There's problems within both ones, but I don't scrap things because there's problems. I'm I'm just a pragmatist. That's not how I work. And so um, I think that what's crazy to me is, I mean, I, I think people are just losing perspective. Like, we're not actually picking a president right now. We're picking Democratic and Republican candidates for president. If you feel like you don't like the way the party system works and you don't like the way they pick their candidates, then by all means, run a third-party candidate. Who knows what could happen? Every, the rules seem to be out the window. But this is how the parties pick their candidate. The Democrat, you know, when you get inside, sort of since I, you know, would only, in my in my younger days, um, when I would only get involved in the in the party process, really when it was a presidential candidate, you have a very different perspective. Since I moved back to Paducah, I saw the people who meet, we meet once a month. We talk about local candidates. Like we, Nicholas and I went to the precinct elections and we were elected um, the precinct captains, Democratic candidates for our for our um, precinct. It's like pulling teeth to get people there. There's a lot of organizing. There's a lot of work. I mean, like this isn't just people at the top. I guess that's where I'm coming from. This isn't just people at the top that everybody feels like are puppet masters picking things. There's a lot of people at the grassroots level of these parties who spend a lot of their personal time getting together, organizing, going through these processes, trying to keep it reasonable and legit and dedicating their time to things that are important to them. So that, what, every four years or eight years, people who never have anything to do with these parties can come in and say, I don't like how this works. I want to do it this way. Like, it just really feels, it feel, I don't like it. I'm just going to be honest. I don't like it because there is a lot to this that is behind the scenes that people at the, lo- the lower local levels dedicate their lives to. And to just come in and act like you don't like the way it works, well, then you should have gotten involved at the lower level if you don't like the way it works. Okay, counterpoint, though. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the counterpoint to that. So all true. And and I think there is, to use your favorite word, some paradox going on. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. all of that's true. What is also true is that those people in the grassroots do not own the process or the outcome of the process any more than people who cannot afford to devote that kind of time or can just do not have that kind of time. They choose to make their priorities other things. And I think in an age when we can all participate in the conversation more fully than we've ever been able to before because of technology, the idea that the people who have shown up every month for years are now telling the rest of us, this is how it is and you're going to like it because you haven't been in this room, is insulting to a lot of people. And and I also want to say, so since we started this podcast and I've become shifting, I guess, in my views on a lot of things, um, including my own involvement in politics, I have reached out to the Republican Party on a number of levels, okay, local, state, national, and, and some private organizations as well. Do you know how many responses I have gotten when I just pose the question, like, how can I get more involved? Because side note, other than donating money, there's not much to be done through a website, right, Mm. to get involved. Um, One. Wow. I have gotten one response, and that is from a political action committee that I paid to be a member of. Wow. So that process of people sitting in a room is important and it's critical. And I take nothing away from the people who do that hard work and devote that time. But it also often feels like a locked room, even to those of us who are willing to get in and roll up our sleeves and do the work. We just need some information about starting that. So there's a lot wrong. And I think that the gift of this awful cycle (laughs) is, is announcing that to people. I mean, what happened in Colorado That is important information. How is that happening in the Facebook and Twitter era that 600 people run for 13 delegate spots and and the only people who have a say in that process are the people who physically went to that convention? That's that's not our society. And it's certainly not the kind of government we want to have. I mean, we talk all the time about transparency and accountability. I know those are cornerstones of your campaign in Paducah. Like, we got to bring that to this whole process. And let me say, too, before, you know, I don't know 
the difference between the sort of the Kentucky Republican Party structure. But as far as the the Kentucky Democratic structure, if you had emailed anybody in McCracken County, they'd have been on you like white on rice. Like, oh my God, yes, we have 16 things. Uh, not really. I mean, I, I guess that's the thing. Like, people are passionate and we need people to help. But I don't want to say that it takes this massive amount of commitment. When I say we went to a precinct election, I mean... We walked in the door. We stood under our little precinct sign. We were the only two people there. We filled out the form and we left. So I do want to say, like, I think there is places to get involved. But also let me say, it's really not as huge of a time commitment. It just has to stay on your radar. And you sort of have to think, like, this is important to me. Let me pay attention to what's happening at my local level. See what a time commitment is. But there are places to get involved that aren't huge commitments. I just wanted to make sure I didn't want to give people the the wrong idea that it's like, you sign up, you sign over your life, and it's this huge time commitment. Listen, I have three kids and a lot going down, and got a lot going on, and it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't a huge time commitment to sort of stay, and hasn't been to stay involved um, in the McCracken County Democratic um, Party. And if you live in McCracken County, give me a call. I'll find a place for you to get involved too. So, <laughs> I mean, it just. I guess it depends on where you live and sort of what's happening. But it's worth a look, right? If we all care, and we all, like you said, like these things are going down, we don't like, like just. If you get pulled out emails and nobody emails you back, like, that's a problem. But, like, you might be surprised by somebody getting back with you, like, hey, we, we're doing this. It only takes, like, five, ten minutes of your time if you'd like to get involved. So this is my pitch for just just let's all try. Good hearted try. Tries. And I say that <laughs> not to discourage anyone, and I'm going to keep trying. But I but I also just think that's important to the context of the yeah, race. Yeah, Absolutely. So the other thing I wanted to just mention is a very interesting Donald Trump hire. Um, Have you seen much from Paul Manafort, Sarah? I have not. So Trump has brought in Paul Manafort, who is a veteran, and I mean like veteran, veteran, GOP operative, worked for Gerald Ford. Okay, so way back machine. He does not look anywhere as near as old as that makes him sound. Um, (laughs) But he was on Meet the Press this week. So Trump brought him in to be his campaign advisor, not campaign advisor, his convention advisor. So there's all this discussion about how Cruz is just lapping Trump in terms of the grassroots, getting the delegates organized, preparing yeah. for a contested convention conversation. And Manafort is the guy who's supposed to fix that for Donald Trump. And then there are, you know, stories about kind of turmoil within the very small Trump campaign. Is Manafort displacing anybody? Um He was on Meet the Press this week, and he was good, let me tell you. Like, I still don't have any interest in Donald Trump. I'm still a Never Trump person, also still a Never Cruz person. This guy is slick. Like, he's the perfect fit for Donald Trump just in terms of sort of he seems serious, but also like a wheeler dealer businessman. So even though he has all this experience and kind of entrenchment, I don't think he's going to turn off anybody who feels like Trump is an outsider. Right. Um, he, he was just, he was very, very professional, very good. I'm not a person who's going to change anyone's mind, I don't think, in terms of, like, converting the never Trump to the Trump chorus. <laughs> but it definitely, to me, signals that Trump is serious about winning this thing. Yeah. Like, we've talked a lot about how we didn't think so. I don't think this guy would be in the mix if Trump did not want to get the nomination. Yeah, but I wonder if um, it's too little too late. Yeah, I think that's a really fair question. I mean, I just do. I wonder if it is. And I don't know the answer to that, except that, I mean, Trump needs, I think it's 61% of the remaining delegates to get the 1237 before the convention. And then I don't know what that number is for Cruz, but it's much, much higher. And, and well, Cruz can't get to 1237. Yeah, Mathematically We're not even really impossible. About that. So you get to the convention. And, and really, you have Cruz and Kasich on equal footing, which is a story that I think is being lost completely. Cruz has picked up a lot more votes, a lot more delegates, but he still can't get there, and neither can Kasich. So they're both depending on a convention scenario. I think it's an interesting conversation in light of what we were just talking about with the Democratic side to say, who should really be in that mix in a convention? And if someone other than Trump, who's going to go in with the most delegates, if he doesn't come out with the nomination, have we done a disservice to the process or have we served the process by not nominating someone that 60 to 70 percent of the country thinks would be a terrible president? I don't know. And I know to your point, we're not picking a president. We're picking a nominee. But in the United States, like the still the likelihood of a third party candidate coming and winning it 
is tough. Now, maybe that's more significant this year since both parties' front runners are um, underwater on their favorables. Like, you've got about a third of people who are comfortable with Hillary Clinton, about a third who are comfortable with Donald Trump, and then a third who are saying, like, this is a terrible situation. <laughs> and so I, I don't know. I mean, it's just going to be fascinating to watch what happens. But I hope that we do take the the gift from this of let's all get more involved and let's question these rules and question the process and question our own commitment to it. Well, and I think that with regards to Trump, you know, as a pragmatist, again, who thinks that this is about we're not we're not this isn't a purely democratic process. This is who best represents your political party, who best represents the Republican Party. Now, um I think there's an argument to be made that decisions that the Republican Party has made in the past has left a group of people um, sort of at the base of the Republican Party. And maybe Donald Trump is their nominee, right? So I don't know. But I don't have any problem with saying we're we're representing the party. We're not just taking a purely um, sort of popular vote. That's not what this is about. It's not what it's ever been about. If that was true, like you wouldn't even have conventions. You wouldn't have party platforms. Like that's not what we're doing here. We're picking who best represents the party to run in the general. And so I think I think Donald Trump might have uh, reached a sort of, his peak was too early. And so by the time they get to the convention and he's lost all this steam, it'll be a lot easier to sell to say like, we're not, we're not, I mean, I don't think you want to sell it like this. We're disenfranchising all these people who voted for uh, Donald Trump. But I think it'll be an easier sell to say, like at a contested convention that, where he comes out as not the candidate, basically. So my prediction is that sometime in the next week or so, Donald Trump is going to come out and give a really good speech Ooh, about I don't, I don't know how, if he's capable of it. No, I think he can about how when you look at the process stuff going on on both sides, you have to be with him. Now, I don't I don't believe that. I don't think it's true. But I think he can, in a very serious adult way, if he chooses to make a lot of hay of what's going on process wise, because this process was not known to the vast majority of people before this cycle. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Do we want to pick our person from the other side? Sure. OK, I'll start. I, I feel like which she's sort of. In the process of us doing this, she's such an obvious choice. I've sort of missed her and uh, maybe assumed we already did her. But I'm going to do Susan Collins, from the senator from Maine. She's, I love Susan Collins. Yeah, she's a moderate <laughs> Republican. She's definitely one of the names that always comes up when it's like women had to go in there and be like, y'all, we had to get this stuff done. So big fan. I think I don't agree with every issue that she, um, with her, obviously. But I think overall she is a moderate and a good representative of Fermaine, definitely, and really does what a United States senator should do. So thumbs up, Susan Collins. Keep up the good work. So my choice is kind of easy this week. I'm going to compliment Celis Wilder, who you'll hear from in a moment. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I love Rand Paul. Okay, I, I think Rand Paul has an important place in the Senate. This guy makes me wish that our process was to choose one Democrat and one Republican. Because yeah, I think the two of them would have a ton of common ground. And then where their ground was not common, a the, the kind of contest of ideas that Paul Ryan has been talking about that serves the country and serves the process. But I think you guys are just going to love hearing from Celis in a moment. And I want to say that, you know, don't tune out if you're not in Kentucky because. Oh, yeah. We're talking issues, about so much bigger than that. Yeah. The issues that he is focused on are, are national and international and, you know, human race oriented in scope in a lot of ways. So hi, guys, I'm really glad to be here. Um, well, I, I guess to tell you just a little bit about myself, I live in Frankfort, Kentucky, with uh, my wife, Jesse and our two kids. I grew up on a small farm in Henry County, um, in kind of north central Kentucky, way back in a holler, we grew up with um, an outhouse and drinking well water and uh, growing most of our own food. And we grew up pretty poor, but we didn't know it at the time. We were perfectly happy, and we didn't really want for anything. We had creeks and woods to play in and books and balls and all of that all of that fun stuff. But our parents raised us to understand that we needed to not only uh, be smart and efficient and conserve our resources, but we also grew up understanding that we had to take care of our land and our water if we wanted to keep drinking that water and if we wanted that land to continue to provide for us. Um, and that's an ethic that I've carried throughout my entire life. Um, I used to serve on the city commission and was mayor pro tem of Frankfurt for a little while. I was first elected when I was 27. I'm 35 years old now. 
Um, so I have some experience in politics. I decided to get into this race um, because I felt like we were really lacking some honest statewide conversations about any number of issues, whether it's the true state of the coal industry or um, income inequality, criminal justice reform, any number of things. Um, we keep uh, selling this myth, in the coal industry in particular, we keep selling this myth that we can bring our old way of life back if we just kill the EPA, if we just get rid of environmental regulations. And not only would that turn Kentucky into Flint, Michigan, uh, faster than any of us would like, but that also just wouldn't work. The, the real shame of that myth is that it denies new opportunities for a region that really needs them. Um, environmental regulation has certainly contributed to the decline of the coal industry, but it's hardly the most important factor. And the truth of the matter is that things like the fracking boom, um, OPEC's release of their oil reserves, reduced demand from China, and the discovery of new coal seams out west in places like Colorado have all contributed to the decline of Kentucky coal. And uh, as long as we keep selling this myth that we can just magically fix everything by slaying the dragon, um, like I said, that really is denying new opportunities for a region that needs them because a lot of these families have sacrificed their land and their health and in some cases their lives for our entire state's economy and our entire nation's economy, really. Um, and they have very little left to show for it. And they've been largely abandoned by our political leaders on both sides. And we're not going to fix those problems until we can get real about the nature of the problem and own them and fix them. And so my platform is centered heavily on both federal relief for out-of-work minors and their families, which doesn't fix anything, but it at least puts a short-term Band-Aid on the problem, while we work on the long-term solutions, which include federal investments in diversified local economies, um, land remediation, solar farms on strip mine sites, infrastructure development, including tech infrastructure, and uh, increased educational opportunities, all the way from early childhood development up through affordable higher education, but also better access to technical and trade skills because we're going to need a lot of those investments to build a 21st century economy. Um, we need a, a skilled and trained workforce if we're going to recruit new businesses in, and we also need things like better broadband connectivity and better cellular access if we're going to recruit 21st century businesses into eastern and western Kentucky and start to find a, a healthy alternative um, to the single industry that we've relied on for so long. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. We use our phones for everything at this point, but did you know that you can use it for some sexy me time? Don't worry, your fantasies are safe with Dipsy. Just don't forget to use your headphones. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library, a fantasy series with vampires, Greek gods, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time. Explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. My son Oliver is almost two. The desire for more hours in the day has never been more real for me in my life. An extra hour for reading, for sleeping, for working, for playing. I could use any of it. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and to then make it a priority. Therapy can help you figure that out, help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. 
Just last week, my mom actually asked me about my experience with BetterHelp after hearing ads like this one for it. And I'm telling you what I told her. BetterHelp was the perfect solution for me in a time of my life when I had too many plates to juggle, but still very much needed to talk to someone about the experience of keeping all those plates in the air. BetterHelp made therapy easy and accessible right when those were qualities I needed most. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You just fill out a very brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Now, what did you? What do you do for a living? I'm a film and video producer. Uh, most recently, I produced a documentary called "The End of the Line," that followed the grassroots defeat of the Bluegrass Pipeline. And I don't know how familiar your listeners are are with that. Um, some some parts of Kentucky are really familiar with it because the pipeline would have gone through those areas, and others less so. But um, in case your listeners aren't aware, that was an effort by some out-of-state companies to pipe hazardous liquids that are a byproduct of fracking through Kentucky. Uh, from the northeast down to the Gulf Coast, where they would have been refined into plastics and sold or shipped overseas. Um, and that pipeline wouldn't have served any Kentuckians. I mean, literally not, not one Kentuckian. Um, it was just a pass-through. But it would have posed significant dangers to a lot of people's health and land. Uh, NGL pipelines are over 100 times more explosive than natural gas lines. And um, they also can contaminate uh, water and, and uh, soil, etc., and so this, I was really proud to be part of this diverse coalition that came together to resist the pipeline when they tried to force their way on the Kentucky farms. So I worked with Tea Partiers and Republicans and churches and nuns and farmers and ranchers and environmental groups and grassroots groups and nonprofits and everybody. That sounds like together. a very nuanced coalition. That's sort of that's our, that sounds good to us. It was a really broad coalition, which is really inspiring because obviously there's a lot of um, political and, and social differences between these groups. But everybody was able to come together on this particular issue where we had common ground. And I think that's something, frankly, that our nation really needs right now. It's certainly something that Kentucky needs right now. And a lot of people didn't think we could win at first because the other side had all the money. Um, but even though they spent millions of dollars misrepresenting the issue, we persevered. Uh, we worked together. We had the truth on our side. And we won even when conventional wisdom and common sense said we didn't stand a chance. I love it. So we first became acquainted with you, or I, I did at least, um, through the, the video that was sort of viral here in Kentucky um, you, with you giving some of the information that you gave us about coal. And I'm just wondering um, how this radical strategy of talking to voters like adults that you're implementing is going for you. It's, a, it's actually going surprisingly well. Um, the video you saw was from a candidate forum in Prestonsburg, and uh, I didn't catch any heat at all for that. In fact, a lot of people came up after the forum was over to tell me how refreshing it was to hear a candidate finally being honest with them. And I think a lot of people are really hungry for that right now. I know that as a voter, I've been really hungry for that. Um, I've been really tired of only uh, getting to vote for politicians. Um, I've been looking forward to an opportunity to, uh, to see somebody come around who could actually start some grown-up conversations. Because that's, that's one of the problems with modern politics is that we... Not only do we rely on attacking our opponents in order to earn votes rather than actually um, trying to bring up aspirational issues or give, give somebody something to vote for. We just give people things to vote against. Um, but we also tend to talk in sound bites, and a lot of the problems we're dealing with are a lot more nuanced than that. And um, so my sense for a long time is that we've needed leaders who are willing to set the sound bites aside and actually start some of those difficult conversations. And that's really why I'm in the race. I didn't think I could win when I first got into it. The thought was just that I could at least use the platform to start some of these conversations around the state and put some new ideas on the table. Um, but I'm finding that people are so ready for that and so hungry for that that I've, I've been building the support base that I'll need to compete. And I'm in it to win it at this point. I'm going to do my best. Well, and let me tell you, we, as a, a podcast whose hashtag is Keep It Nuanced, 
People are absolutely hungry for that. I tell people, you know, when we started this podcast, we thought we'd spend months with it just being our family and friends listening, and we just blew up overnight because people were like thirsty wanderers in a desert. Like, oh my gosh, yes, please, can we all acknowledge that there's more going on than you're right and I'm wrong and you hate America and I love America. And I think in particularly in Kentucky with coal, you know, I'm from Western Kentucky, and it's really difficult for people to understand that it's it's almost like we have two states. Eastern Kentucky is very, very different from Western Kentucky. And for so long, I think sort of in Western Kentucky, it's just been like, well, that's their problem, and that doesn't have anything to do with us. And sort of what I told people when I moved back is, particularly if you live out of the state, like, you don't, you know, if somebody has awful stereotypes about Appalachians or really you sort of... Um, unfortunate two-dimensional ideas about e- the eastern part of the state. You don't say, oh, for I'm from western Kentucky, and they go, okay. Like, that's just, that does not, we're in this together. You know, like, it's, we're in this together, and when people think poorly about one part of the state, they think poorly about all of us. And when these terrible um, sort of situations, just like you were talking about, when our economy was built on the backs of people who aren't being treated fairly as a result... And when we're tearing apart our environment for a profit and, you know, all these things, like, they affect every one of us. And we can't move forward together while just sort of ignoring the ways other people have been left behind. Right. I mean, that's really a central premise of the campaign is that this, this thing we do in politics where we attack each other's parties and we attack each other's ideologies and we attack each other personally. I mean, that doesn't help anybody. That's um, yeah. it's counterproductive. It doesn't make we don't make our own lives any better when we do that. We certainly don't solve any of our problems. Uh, but if we can just listen to each other with dignity and respect, then we can disagree on all the things we disagree on. But if we can at least come together and help each other out where we find common ground, then we can all enjoy a brighter future together. But it, it takes I think it takes an open hearted approach to achieve that. And that's been my tactical strategy in the campaign. I, I don't have any uh, I'm not. I don't have any paid consultants. I'm not taking any polls. I'm not, um, I'm not telling people what they want to hear. I'm not making any political calculations at all. I'm just running a completely open-hearted and truthful campaign and letting the chips fall where they may. Because I think that's, that's really, I, I, if we had more candidates that took that approach, if we gave more voters just honest choices um, between one perspective and another perspective, um, rather than these kind of shifty, you can't really tell where people stand, candidates that we keep presenting folks with. That's just better for democracy. Um, uh-huh. And it's really important. I think one reason voter turnout is so low is because we have lots of people around the state whose views aren't even represented by our candidates. And so if we can get yeah. a, a greater diversity of candidates who can just be open-hearted about where they are and worry more about having honest conversations and about winning elections, I think that um, not only will we end up with better elected officials over time, but I think we would have more voter engagement. Yeah. What's been the most what's been the most surprising sort of interaction you've had since your your viral video moment and your since your campaign sort of shifted? You know, it was um, I, I spoke to the United Mine Workers in Lexington uh, and made a case for environmental regulation. Um, and <laughs> I like how you sort of laughed when you said, well, that. I didn't know if I would get booed out of the room or not. Um, but I, I, there was a conversation that I thought was important to have. And the case that I made to them, because these are union guys, um, and I'm a strong union supporter, and uh, the case I had to make to them was, um, uh, you know, you guys have to organize in order to protect your safety from these companies. Uh, you know that if, if uh, they could lower mine safety standards in order to make more money, they would. Uh, that they're more concerned with their own profit margins than your health and safety. And so I'm sure you also understand that if they can make more money by polluting your children's drinking water, they would do that as well. And so it's just as important that we have the EPA to protect you and your families uh, from this industry as it is to have unions to protect you from this industry. And I, they heard that, I think. Um, and that I also that's made awesome. the case, who do you think can best work with the EPA in a way that's healthy for Kentucky? Somebody like Rand Paul, who's literally trying to abolish the agency, who probably is antagonizing them into being more punitive than they need to be, or somebody who actually shares their agenda in terms of clean water and clean air, and who can work with them in a way that uh, meets that agenda and meets those needs, those needs while still respecting Kentucky's economic realities. And um, 
there was a gentleman who uh, was very emotional afterwards when shaking my hand, and all he could say was, thank you for not pandering to us. Oh, that's wonderful. That's really wonderful. How did you decide on the Senate as the vehicle for your message? And and in retrospect, was that the right call for you? And I guess this is a three-part question, sorry, but we have a lot of listeners who are interested in seeking public office in the way that you're describing. And how would you advise them as they're making their calculus about where to start? We were also wondering where you were in the governor's race. Amen. (laughs) The governor's race? Yeah, we wish we'd had you in the last governor's election. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, No, so I I, I chose on this... I chose to run for the Senate because it's a statewide election. And a lot of the issues that I feel like don't get addressed on a statewide level are usually uh, brought up in a Senate race in one way or another. And so it was just the, um, it was the opportunity to actually find a race that stretched all the way from eastern to western Kentucky and to make that case. Um, and it didn't really occur to me to get into the race until pretty close to the filing deadline. Um, because nobody, uh, no major candidates had stepped up to challenge Rand Paul. And the thought was, well, heck, if nobody else is going to get up to that debate stage, I'll do it. Uh, I would love a chance <laughs> to debate Rand Paul. Um, and that's, that's kind of what started the gears turning. Um, I knew that, that Mayor Gray from Lexington was considering getting into the race. And I was really on the fence uh, because I had hopes that as uh, an openly gay candidate, he would be a little more comfortable kind of coming out as a progressive and, and leaning into some of these issues rather than running away from them, which is what our, our statewide standard bearers tend to do. Um, and I was really disappointed when I saw his campaign announcement uh, when he he basically just signaled his intention to try to run to the right of Rand Paul uh, on a couple of issues. And so I, it, it just, it looked like the same, it looked like the same kind of campaign that Conway ran in the governor's race. Yeah. That Allison ran before yeah. him against McConnell, where we, uh, kind of compete with Republicans to see who can be uh, the most conservative and who can embrace big industry the most and who can bash the president the most and all of that. And not only do we keep losing that contest every time, but I think we make the problem worse when we do that because we send this message mm-hmm. around the entire state that those are the only values that matter. And I'm not even bashing conservative values because I share some of them. I mean, I, I think we need to balance the budget. Um, we need to tackle the federal deficit. The, the problem, though, is that when we keep competing with, when I, I say weeks, I'm a Democrat, but when we keep competing with Republicans to see who can be the most Republican, we leave entire segments of our population completely unrepresented in these races. And I think it's really important that we have a diversity of views in these elections. And um, so not only do we keep losing the election every time we, I mean, come on, anytime we give voters a choice between a Republican and a Republican, they're going to vote for the Republican. Um, yeah. So not only do we keep losing that contest every time, but I think we're disenfranchising um, folks who feel like their views aren't even being represented in the electoral process. And when it when it became clear that the party was going to take that approach yet again, uh, again. that just brought me yeah. off the fence and, and put me into the race. And there's an extent to which I'm, I am trying to challenge conventional wisdom within the Democratic Party. And some people aren't very happy about that. There's certainly folks within the party that are uh, that are upset with me. But... Um, I'm not doing this because I, I hate the Democratic Party. I'm doing this because I love the Democratic Party. And I think, personally, I think it's, it's our best chance to move Kentucky forward. But I think it needs a little tough love right now. Um, I think they need to understand that they're alienating a lot of their own base when we run away from our base. And that we'll have a better shot at competing if we can actually energize and fire up our voters rather than uh, pretend they don't exist. I hope you guys don't mind to time travel back with me about a year. I was in the process of resigning myself to the idea that part of middle age for me might mean that my hair was going to slowly turn to straw and fall out of my head. Drama aside, we all know that your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. I have tried other custom beauty products and just found that they kind of make my hair worse. But ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair, yes, but beyond that too. I feel like I don't have to blow dry my hair anymore in order for it to look good because it's stronger, fuller, softer, and just looks nicer. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. 
personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. My custom shampoo and conditioner, for example, were formulated to improve the smoothness and volume of my hair. And I really see after months of using my custom formula and tweaking it with the review and refine tool for this season that I have nice looking hair all year long. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash pantsuit. So go get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash pantsuit. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash pantsuit. want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable traditionally the advice would be pick one but thanks to third love you can have both third love was started to take all the frustration out of bra shopping that's why they make solutions for every bra problem aka bra plum their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school get smoothing you know where and have straps that actually stay put Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. That's code PODCAST15. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Yeah. I feel, I, I feel like I'm at church right now. I'm like, yes, preach it. <laughs> I'm preaching. Well, and as a Republican in the state of Kentucky, I can tell you that I, I am hungry for um, our version of you because I feel like we aren't running Republicans right now as much as we're trying to run to the Tea Party, you know, and a, a certain faction of the Republican Party instead of people who are really about uh, big, bold ideas that move things forward in a lot of the directions that you're talking about as well. I think there's a ton of common ground. There, There is a lot of common ground. Yeah. And I, I think, too, as much as you can say in the last governor's race, as much as, you know, I have lots of negative things to say about Matt Bevin. But I think that a lot of people felt like he was at least being authentic with them. Like he was, you know, you might not have liked what his version of sort of open hearted was. But that I think for him, he was being authentic and he was being passionate about what he believes in. I happen to adamantly disagree with him. But I do think he was more authentic than previous than his opponent and other previous candidates, even on the Republican side. I I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, even when uh, I mean, even in the. Even in the debates when Jack was asked, uh, what's your favorite thing to drink or what do you do for fun? I mean, his favorite thing to drink was Louisville tap water. Um, and what he does for fun is read legal briefs. I think you just you can see the political calculation in a lot of these answers. And I get the calculation. But the idea that we need to keep running campaigns based on what we think voters want to hear rather than where our hearts really are, it just misses the point. And I think we're seeing on a national level. Uh, that we're in an age of authenticity and that a lot of people are really hungry, at least for candidates who say the things that we're not supposed to be able to say. So now that you're in it to win it, sort of, what's your next step going forward? And if our listeners, be they from Kentucky or not from Kentucky, want to help out, what would you tell, where would you tell them to go? Well, we, we're never going to be able to compete with, uh, with our primary opponent, Jim Gray, in terms of fundraising. And so we're having to run a pretty social media heavy campaign. Um, so to that end, I would encourage people to check out our Facebook page, uh, the Wilder for Senate Facebook page. They can, um, they can find that under Get Wilder Kentucky on Facebook. And, of course, our website, wilderforsenate.com. Um, we'll also be traveling. We, I just finished up a, a tour of western Kentucky. We went out uh, to check out. Uh, you know, we went 
from Owensboro out to uh, Paducah and Murray and uh, made a few good stops um, out west. Yeah, Celis and I got to actually meet in yeah. real life, which doesn't happen a lot. Right. I enjoyed that. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll be back in central Kentucky for a little bit, and then I'll be heading on, a, on an eastern swing here next week. So if folks go to the Facebook page, they can see where we're going to be stopping. And most of the obvious places like um, Ashland, Pikeville, uh, Whitesburg. We'll spend a little time in Richmond, et cetera. And, um, but, but what can I say? A lot of the campaign really relies on grassroots uh, organizing and, and social media outreach. Well, we wish you all the best and really appreciate you spending the time with us. We'll put all of those links up in our show notes so that our listeners can find you and be part of the conversation. And I also want to say, even if you can't compete with Jim Gray, still donate money if you like what Celis has said. Oh, true that, because the more <laughs> you know, the more funds we get, the more we can get the message out. And we spend them pretty wisely. Uh, and tar- you know, we, we really just do our best to spend them to get the, this message out to voters. Because, again, that's the primary focus of the campaign. I've got three priorities in this race. The third priority is to win it. Um, and I am in it to win it, but that's the lowest of the three. The second priority is to carry an open-hearted, and truthful message and that has to be more important than winning because i'm not willing to take positions i don't agree with or or tell people what they want to hear in order to earn votes and the first priority is simply to keep my own heart clean um because i think that that's part of that is just for my own sake uh, because i've seen the corrupting influence that politics can have on people and i don't i don't want that for myself and my family but that's also uh, a little strategic because I think that uh, all these other efforts have to flow mm-hmm. from a pure and honest place in order for them to have any effect. And so we're not just trying to reach people intellectually. We're actually trying to reach people's hearts and minds in the campaign. And uh, any help we can get spreading the message, whether it's through sharing social media, inviting folks to like our Facebook page, or making contributions so that we can get the message out to people we haven't reached yet, uh, would be really helpful and greatly appreciated. And I really enjoyed being on the podcast, guys. Pantsuit politics, rock and roll. We're so happy to have you. We love to have people who have a passion for nuance like we do, and especially someone who is doing, we've been talking about this, and this is definitely the type of campaign I'm trying to run and the type of politics we are passionate about, and we hope that um, more people like you decide to run campaigns exactly like what you described. We're so happy to have you, Salas. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks. Keep it nuanced, y'all. So it was spring break where I live, and my family and I went on a fun little road trip. So we thought that we would talk about um, maybe our favorite fun weekend destinations around where we live. Or not where we live, because really where I went was not where I live. So you want me to start, Beth? Yeah, I do. I, I've been following all your pictures and enjoying your, your stuff, so let's hear about it. Yeah, y'all should definitely follow me on social media as my like personal accounts if you don't already, at Bluegrass Red. <laughs> a little plug there. Um, so... Um, actually last weekend we had a great weekend we went down to southern Illinois near where I live there's a lot of um, it's not really mountainous it's more just rocky but there's a lot of really cool rock formations at this place called Garden of the Gods and a lot of waterfalls and so we went to Burden Falls and um, oh, I'm totally blanking on the name of the other one but it really great sort of hiking around southern Illinois and then this weekend we left on Friday and we went to Pigeon Forge in Gatlinburg which I'd never been to again before it can despite living so close and Gatlinburg is stinking adorable if you live close you should really go we went we left um on Friday like I said we got there we actually stopped on the way to in Nashville and went to their free little puppet show they do in their library I was one proud of myself for thinking up such a great free sort of pit stop and it was really great and Asheville's public library is gorgeous so then we went to Pigeon Forge we did some we went to the aquarium in Gatlinburg which was really nice and then we went to um where did we go we went to hiking in the Great Smoky Nationals Great Smoky Mountain National Park um which was really really beautiful they have these really cool foot bridges which is like a log but only one side of the log has sort of like a rail kind of I guess is the best way to describe it you sort of just walk across the log and hold on to the rail and the one when we went was over like big drop off big rushing water and both of my boys did it and I was really proud of them so um we did that and then we went to Cade's Cove and had every restaurant in Gatlinburg serves pancakes <laughs> it's like one pancake house after the other so we ate some pancakes and um headed home and then my transmission died but that's okay 
because we had all the resources and my parents were behind us and in the scope of sort of car trouble, it was not that bad. So we had a really great time. Here's a very important question about Gatlinburg. Did you have a fritter while you were there? I did. I had a corn fritter at the, where did we go? Sawyer's Farmhouse. No, that's not where we were. The Old Mill Restaurant. That's where we went. Those are delicious. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. We went to Cade's Cove where they have this like working mill, like hot, like from the 1800s. And so I got the like the real ground up whole wheat flour because I just watched Michael Pollan's Cooked on Netflix, which everybody should watch. And he sort of makes this argument like bread's not really bad for you. It's just processed bread that's bad for you. And if you really just get like ground whole wheat and make the bread like they make have made for 500 years with the yeast from your air and all the stuff. So I'm going to try it Michael Pollan style with my new holy flower. I'm pretty excited about it. I love Gatlinburg. I've been many, many times and gone in many ways. And let me just say that if you are headed to that part of the world without children, the Buckhorn Inn is a fabulous place to stay. We actually stayed in an Airbnb for the first time. So if you guys haven't checked out Airbnb before, it was super awesome. It was like this cabin. It was totally affordable. It had a Miss Pac-Man machine and a hot tub. So win for everybody in the family. And we had it. It was really nice. It was it worked out beautifully. So I'll put it. I'll put a link to Michael Pollan and Airbnb in the show notes if you guys haven't checked out Airbnb before. Buckhorn Inn has beautiful views, lots of different options for how you stay there, and the most wonderful, it's its really like upscale food in that part of the world. It's fantastic. So that's a really nice weekend getaway. Um, again, if you're not, I'm sure that you could have kids there and it would be fine, but I would put it more in the just a date kind of getaway. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I want to plug uh, Cincinnati. I live about 20 miles south of Cincinnati in Kentucky, but I work in Cincinnati. And sometimes I forget um, how much there is to do because I sort of take it for granted. Um, But we had a really great weekend here. Uh, Chad and I went to the Cincinnati Museum at Union Terminal, which is a really cool, uh, used to be a train station. And it's now a museum. It has a natural history museum, a wonderful children's museum. We saw there the Art of the Brick, the uh, Lego exhibition. That's so cool. It was amazing. So so all kinds of famous artworks, uh, two-dimensional and three-dimensional replicated in just Legos. So like some of the pieces would have like 75,000 Lego bricks in them wow. to make them up. They were giant and enormous. Like it like just blows your mind. So Beautiful. who did this? Lego? No, it's a it's an artist in New oh, York. Wow. And, and okay. get this, he's a former corporate lawyer. Love it. And when he was practicing corporate law, he would go home and work on Lego art pieces to de-stress. And it's just phenomenal. And then he has original pieces, too. And you kind of move through different stages. I posted on Facebook a picture of my husband next to a, a huge dinosaur fossil all made of Legos. Uh, but it's a really, really cool exhibit. That's then, definitely uh, more upscale than the picture I posted of my husband in Gatlinburg dressed up in the old-timey portrait stuff, but I'm just the same. <laughs> I loved it. And my husband is replicating a dinosaur, so we just like to bring it down a little bit, you know? <laughs> um, and then we went to dinner at Jeff Ruby's Steakhouse. Have you been to Jeff Ruby's, Sarah? I have not. You have to come and go. So it is like a Cincinnati staple. It is the only place to have a, a steak in Cincinnati. I just really feel like we should apologize to all the rest of the world's steakhouses because <laughs> I don't think anyone can compete with Jeff Ruby's. We don't go often... You walk in and, you know, subtle is not a word you would use to describe it. Like the the it, the atmosphere is just ridiculously over the top. There are chandeliers everywhere that all are like diamond blingy. Um, even the little candle holders on the tables are all like blinged out. There's velvet everywhere. I mean, it is old school like luxury. And the steaks are amazing. I don't even like steak very much, you know, but it's like if I want to have a steak, I want a good one. And that's what this is. There's he has a little a potato dish called Potatoes Anna, where these like thinly sliced potatoes are like stacked up in layers and layers and layers. And so the outside gets super crispy, but the inside is like velvety smooth. It's so good. We had bourbon glazed carrots that were to die for. I mean, you would just love it. So it was amazing. Cincinnati, a great place to spend a weekend. 
I really do want to go back to Cincinnati. When I was in Transy, our art history professor used to always take us to the Modern Art Museum there. But then, like, right as I was about to graduate, they redid it and built this brand new one that I've never been to, and it's supposed to be amazing. You I really would up there. love it. The Contemporary Art Center, it's wonderful. It's such it's a cool building architecturally, and the exhibits are always very, very cool, too. I mean, we have, we're really fortunate to have all of the – I mean, I don't think you think of Cincinnati as, like, big city, you know? There's a great arts community here. We have a great theater. Of course, we have the Cincinnati Reds, who are doing much better than anyone expected at this point in the baseball season. So lots of good stuff. Anyone who comes to visit Cincinnati should give me a shout. I would love to give you a little tour of the city. So thanks for joining us for another episode. Keep it nuanced, y'all.